0: As we in the United States learn more about psychological health and safety, we'll also have to consider additional strategies to address mental health in the workplace. We'll be joined by a mental health professional that's at the forefront of new approaches to an old problem. Up next on this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Safety at work is more. And freedom from physical injury. To be safe, you have to feel safe. Join us each week as we discuss psychologically healthy and safe work in the USA. Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Each week, we seek to uh, help people figure out how important psychological health and safety is by learning from the lived experiences, research and expertise of our guests, while at the same time advocating strategies to hopefully reduce harm and minimize vulnerability to work to uh, psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. So in in the United States, uh, there are an estimated 350 individuals to every mental health care provider and That number actually may be overestimated because it includes some folks who are not practicing and others who are taking new customers or new patients. So we have a bit of a a lack of access to mental health care across the country. But we also, even where we actually have providers, many of our ways of going about mental health and, and particularly in the workplace, they could use fresh eyes. They could actually use some fresh approaches. So it's my honor and privilege today to talk to one of those folks who's a provider who's looking at this from a slightly different lens and looking for some new approaches and and new thoughts. Uh, He's a clinical psychologist, a mental health researcher, and educator by training, and a partner to employees on workplace mental health strategies by trade. Looking forward to this conversation, and as I start these work these podcasts off, uh, each episode uh, I start off with this question. In this case, so
1: who is Dr. Joe Grasso? <laughs> big big question. Um, so I am a, a clinical psychologist by training, but I am interesting as a clinical psychologist because my focus has historically been more about the macro than the micro. So. Uh, My training is actually in what's called implementation science and quality improvement. Very much a systems view of things. How do we understand uh, how to take what works in the research literature and actually make it effective in real world settings? Mm. Um, And so this has you thinking about the whole system that you're implementing it and who's going to be implementing it? How does this affect their workflow? Um, how do we measure impact, how do we evaluate programs, Uh, really trying to um, not just think about how do we treat uh, one specific individual, but how do we implement models of care, models of intervention that um, can uh, have the greatest chance of having their intended impact by implementing them in this um, strategic way. And so, for me, for, for most of my uh, postdoctoral training and then my years outside of postdoctoral training, I was focused on integrating mental health services into primary care clinics to address mm-hmm. that access issue you mentioned. We know that a lot of people go to care first for their mental health concerns via a primary care provider. And so uh, my interest was in taking this care model from the research literature, this integrating mental health into primary care program and making it work in real life settings. For me, that often meant the Department of Veterans Affairs. And and so that was really uh, a great training ground for me in thinking about systemic organizational approaches to program development and program implementation. When I moved over to Lyra Health, my current employer, which is much more focused on uh, workplace mental health and offering employers both individual care benefits, but also access to organizational supports. You know, I I took this organizational lens with me and started to think about, okay, how do we think about all of the ways in which an organization needs to promote a mental health strategy through the ways that they uh, deploy learning and development, through the ways that they develop manager practices, Through their corporate policies, even through the ways that they respond to crises. Mm -hmm. And so um, even though my career has taken many twists and turns, um, I've kind of kept this common thread of how do we think about things holistically, uh, organizationally, when we're thinking about how to support individuals.
0: Well, you know, honestly, as I listen to your, your description of yourself and your, your background and your area of study and, and now your practical application, the word that comes to mind, I, I had someone bring this up some years ago. You sound like a pracademic. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So, you know, so practical approach to academics, because we have, you know, we tend to have folks on either side of that a lot Uh mm-hmm. that. Academically, they've got you know great theory and great ideas about how it might work. And then you have others who they can do it. They can't really explain it all that well. But somehow they're able to do things every single day. And it's it's good to have folks who can bridge the gap because we I I, I, I think we get better intentionally when we can bridge the gap. We, we'll still get better. I mean, we'll stumble our way into, you know, if you keep working at it long enough, it'll probably get better. Right. Or, we, you know, we come up with reams and reams and reams of research papers that
1: never really get implemented, but if they did, they'd be great. So. <laughs> right. If only okay. we could just treat the world as if it were a laboratory. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't right. Be wonderful. right. So, so, uh,
0: so, uh, so along those lines, um, t- tell me a little bit about your thoughts about the concept or the idea of psychological health and
1: safety. What is that? When you hear that, what comes to mind for you? When I hear psychological health and safety, I think about employers taking responsibility for the ways in which they can directly affect employee mental health. And so I think about the ISO 45003 standard. That means the environmental factors that shape employee mental health, the interpersonal or social factors that shape employee mental health, and then also the work design factors. So I think a lot of employers think about Workplace mental health exclusively in the benefits and programs realm. What benefits do we offer for individual care? What programs do we offer that promote awareness of well-being or maybe even facilitate individual well-being practices in the workplace, like yoga at work or mindfulness meditation at work? Hey, those are nice, great things, but where... I think psychological health and safety comes in is addressing the root cause reasons why work might negatively affect employee mental health. And recognizing that as an employer, you have a lot more direct responsibility than you might realize for employee mental health. You have, there are certain things that are essential, but not sufficient individual care benefits, not just for the employee, but for the full family that address a wide spectrum of need. That is essential, but it's not sufficient for addressing workforce mental health. Same with workplace programs around wellness and wellbeing promotion. Very helpful, not sufficient for addressing the root cause reasons why people are distressed at work. Right. Due to things like burnout. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned, And rightfully so, the, the fact that yeah, employers, uh, business owners, organizational leadership, whoever, however you want to describe them, have a, a greater responsibility than they sometimes uh, realize or understand. And I also believe they have greater benefits to the organization itself than they understand as well. Because often when, again, when men, mental health comes up, People go to the lagging indicator of the system and try to figure out how many people in their organization have anxiety or depression disorders. And uh, well, some of them may, but ultimately this is not about them. It's about the environment that they are in. It's about taking responsibility and again, deriving benefit from changing the environment itself and working on the environment itself and frankly, and I'll get blunt with it, rather than wasting time trying to change people. Yes. Because I think there's a lot of time wasted on trying to change. How can I make these people different? You can't.
1: What you can do is change the environment that people are actually in. Right, right. And you have a lot more influence over people's behavior when it comes to their workplace behavior specifically. And so the behavior that you should be trying to change, if you're changing behavior at all, is manager behavior, leadership behavior, uh, the behavior of HR and occupational health and safety the teams that are designed to support healthy work practices, changing their behavior becomes key. Yes. and you know the that is the value of caring about psychological health and safety it's a win-win it is and and it's more cost efficient right If you can prevent people from needing care in the first place, for things like burnout or work related stress. That's, that's a cost savings to the company, not to mention the benefits in terms of reduced rate of turnover, increased productivity and engagement, even reducing the risk that people need to take mental health leave because of work. These are all things that you don't outsource to a vendor. They're in your direct control as the employer. And and that doesn't mean you, you may not likely need help from an outside vendor, but it does mean that you can, you can start that work from within and that you can monitor how you're affecting people's work-related stress over time so that you start to treat this as something that's woven into ways of working. It's not this separate external program. Right.
0: So, so, so let's, you, you, you. You hit the wave tops, if you will, on you know, on on your, your background and expertise. So, so how does a, how how do you end up being concerned, interested, and in studying mental health? How, how did that happen?
1: Oh wow, yeah, so we're going way back. So <laughs> it's actually a funny story. I was in my last year of my undergraduate studies, and I had done several internships in advertising, which was my major, and I cultivated this niche in consumer behavior. Why do people purchase what they purchase? Why are people loyal to certain brands? And it involved a lot of study of human behavior. And I just had this realization right before I graduated that I loved studying human behavior. I didn't love applying it to advertising and using be- inside of insights about people's emotions to sell them things. Um, so I decided what can I do with this interest in human behavior? in a way that would help me to feel like it was more uh, pro-social, I guess. And I'm like, I guess I could become a psychologist. So <laughs> I, I stayed another year of undergrad to do research, work in some labs, take classes, and then pivoted to uh, a PhD program in, in psychology. And, you know, I thought going into that program, I would want to become a therapist primarily, you know, treating people for mental health conditions. I do that on the side, but along the way I became really interested in having this more macro level impact. And so that's what took me more towards organizational and systemic interventions. Wow. That's a,
0: so there's a part of me, there's a part of me that, uh, you know, I, I, I want to spouse a lot of my kind of political beliefs about things on the podcast. But but there's a part of me that's just so happy to see that someone that was probably going to get sucked into the, the corporate advertising system realized, you know what, perhaps I can do some things just to help people feel better and feel better about themselves and understand the environment that they're in and make life a nicer place for people. <laughs> yeah. well, that was the wide-eyed goal at the time, for sure. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. So, so uh, again, what is... You know, what's what's your assessment of of mental health in the workplace in the United States? Just a, what's your what's your broad kind of
1: view of that? You know, I I think we are making great strides in prioritizing mental health in the workplace. Let me start there, and one of the ways we see this is in the rare the rare bright spot that came out of the pandemic, which was taking mental health out of the shadows and making it more a part of the everyday dialogue happening at work. I think at Lyra, the company I work for, we're a mental health benefits company. So all day, every day, we're talking with employers about workplace mental health. And we see that there's greater receptiveness to managers, broaching mental health, to workers, speaking up about mental health, struggle, even executive leaders, giving testimonial, uh, in, high-profile settings about ways in which mental health directly affects them. And so those are all great things for normalizing mental health and and showing that it's a priority that we should all care about. The next evolution that I think we need to make in workplace mental health in the U.S. is looking to our... Uh, peers in other countries like Canada, and UK, and Australia, and New Zealand, for how they're looking at the the workplace itself as a shaper of mental health. And this is just intuitive for those of us who work in the mental health field. Environments shape your well-being. Okay. And, and few environments shape us more than the workplace. And so you know I think Employers have caught on to the fact that, oh, we need to talk about mental health. The conversation is happening. That means we need to uh, make people aware of the benefits, give people some mental health literacy training. Yes, great. And now we need to talk about how work is shaping mental health and equip managers to lead in ways that reduce the risk of workplace distress, um, equip HR with the tools to monitor Workplace well-being, you know, I know this is in some organizations that's going to be handled by occupational health and safety. But I think in the U.S., from my experience, the function of assessing and addressing workplace drivers of mental health distress, it falls on HR. It just does. It it does. And whether or not that's right or um, a good fit for their function, it's the reality. And so from my perspective, we have to meet employers where they're at in terms of how they've designed uh, the, this function to be addressed and equip whoever's tasked with addressing this, this function to do the work as systematically and as uh, thoughtfully as possible. So for us at Lira, it's working with HR teams, benefits teams, even L&D teams uh, around how do you get data on how your workforce is doing, how work is affecting how they're doing, and then how do we upskill you to address the risk areas where work might be posing potential harm to people?
0: yeah I, I, I really like the you know the, the, the approach that you you describe uh, meeting people where they are I, is, is really important when we talk about Safety in general, uh, mental health, uh, psychosocial hazard identification and all of these are about meeting people where they are. Now the hazards themselves are not discriminatory. they don't right. they, they exist. I mean I, I share often that uh, from an occupational safety and health perspective, psychosocial hazards are the one hazard that you can never totally eliminate. You cannot. Right. Yeah. If, if there are human beings involved, you can never <laughs> totally eliminate it. I can actually. Uh, there are many places where there are no chemical hazards. They're right. none. They, sure. you, you've engineered them out. They are not an issue. Period. They just sure. are not. This is not that. <laughs> this is no, not. You, at if there are human, place. Yeah. Right. If there are human beings there, and if there are human beings. Involved, they don't have to be physically present, but if they're right. if they are involved, there will be psychosocial hazards, and it's about getting people to recognize that they're there, mm-hmm. to figure out you know how vulnerable they are to that hazard, and then to figure out what if anything you're going to do about it, because again, some of it is the job. I mean, I as I as I've I think I probably shared with you, and I, and I share often. I, I spent a lot of years riding on fire trucks and going into buildings on fire and all that. You can't eliminate the hazard of buildings on fire when you're in the fire rescue service, or people no. shooting when you're in law enforcement, or f- fill in the gap. Customer service, if you're a customer-facing uh, sure, okay. professional occupation. But how do you help folks be more resilient when they're exposed to that hazard of caring for other people and, and being concerned? So uh, again, I, I you're again this. Kind of advertising background. I just think that's such an interesting transition to be able to make to look at the environment itself and how that affects. So, talk a little bit more. You said earlier that environment affects how people feel and how it affects their mental health. Talk a little bit more about how that
1: environment, what that impact looks like. Yeah. And, and, I love that question because it allows me to share how I became interested in psych health and safety in the first place. And it was very organically. Um, in 2020, obviously, the pandemic is putting this overdue spotlight on employee mental health and really uh, helped me grow my team because my team is focused originally on learning and development for workplaces around Mental health. So, mental health literacy training, mental health first aid training. And that was boom times for all of those products. But, you know, we reached this point in like late 2021 where the topics that employers wanted to address were shifting. So, we were out of the acute phase of COVID 19 and where we were addressing uncertainty and coping with distress, then it was starting to shift more toward burnout. And now employers are wanting to address return to work and um, you know, coping with uncertainty in the workplace and curbing burnout. And my team and I started to notice a lot of these issues that employers are now wanting us to address in a webinar are really about things that are in their control. You know, these are things that are more about the design of the work experience. And it was really us taking a look at the literature around burnout and refreshing our memory that burnout is organizational. It's systemic. It's driven by the workplace and the way to successfully intervene in ways that also create durable outcomes is by intervening on teams, intervening within the organization. And so that's where, uh, you know, we started to pivot more toward, uh, you know, mitigating burnout risk through uh, guiding employers around how to address um, team behaviors, manager behaviors, workplace environment factors, um, and even their policies. And so it's really a testament to our customers that, you know, they've been on board, you know, we're, um, you know, helping some light bulbs to turn on and, and people are receptive to this idea that there's more that we can do from within. And it's very energizing work for all of us because we also address DEI B as mm-hmm. a topic. Hmm. And again, a lot of times we're very focused on changing individual attitudes about DEIB and doing you know, anti-bias training and awareness training. And again, they have their place, but you can't treat them like a cure-all for a a, that's right. a work environment that's not inclusive, that's not equitable. That's right. So, increasingly, right. our B experts are also focused on. Changing aspects of the work environment itself or helping employers to change the workplace environment itself and to evaluate, um, you know, the, how effective are our programs? Because that's the last piece in all of this. So many programs out there, not a lot of measurement. Right. And so that's where we also want to come in and really be an advocate for not only doing training, doing programming, but making sure that it's having the intended impact. Yeah.
0: It, it it kind of takes you back to, I don't know, freshman or sophomore year in college when we talked about, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy. Yes. <laughs> oh, there, yeah. there, there are so many efforts focused at self actualization and self-esteem and all these kinds of things. And they skip over that second step, which is safety. Yeah. People, they, people, and I say this often, people don't, come to work for you because they don't feel safe coming to work for you or they don't stay because they don't feel safe. There's something. And sometimes it is physical safety. Their physical safety is so threatened by the environment itself. And you don't change that by a program and a slogan and a poster that that doesn't because it's about how I feel. It's about how I feel. And, And, and because as a society, at least my life experience has been, I've been in a lot of environments where I was told, you know, don't you have to push past your feelings and no, I, I don't need to push past my feelings. I need to identify my feelings and figure out how to take my feelings along with me because yes. I can't just leave them back there.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and feelings are data. Right. They are. They this, are. this is this is um, where my clinical psychologist hat comes on. We know from research that ignoring your feelings or suppressing them or pretending they're not there or trying to like rapidly transform how you feel doesn't really work very well. In fact, it tends to create a rebound effect where those emotions just come back more strongly and more frequently. And that's where I think you're seeing a lot more interest in management training that helps managers identify their feelings, like you said, and harness them in ways that are valuable. So if I'm annoyed or frustrated in an interaction with the direct report, what is that data telling me? Right. And it doesn't mean I I shouldn't be reactive to it, but I should be curious about it. I certainly shouldn't be ignoring it because it's telling me something about our dynamic that A might be posing a psychosocial risk to my employee. That's right and might also be highlighting um, a change that I need to address in how I deal with this employee. So I love that you highlight that piece. Emotions are valuable.
2: Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all FlourishDX Academy courses included within the FlourishDX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with FlourishDX for free at www.flourishgx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishgx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode.
0: They, they are, they are. I, I, I find that, so even, and you I'm not, not sure what type of research, whether it was, you know, quantitative, qualitative, mixed methods, whatever it might have been. But personally I think in the occupational safety and health space, we have tons of quantitative data and measurements and metrics around what safety is. A percentage of this and this but we don't have enough, again in my view, enough qualitative measures of whether or not the activities that we engage in that we say are about safety, Mm -hmm. if they result in the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal should be, do people feel safe? Yes. Because if people don't feel safe, then we still have more work to do. I mean, it's not that what we're doing is good or bad or right or wrong, because we get into a lot of these, you know, kind of value judgments on that was a good program or a bad program. Do people feel safe? And if they're saying no,
1: there's more work to do. That's all. It's not not that what we did was bad. You're you're, you're the perfect, you're giving the perfect example of modeling psychological safety, not to be confused with psychological health and safety. But this idea of specifically learner safety, right? Like it's okay to fail. It's okay to stumble if we can learn from it. And we take what we learn and we use it in an iterative approach toward getting better. And so that even just that piece of feeling safe, a lot of employees feel like they can't take any risks, they can't offer an idea, they can't take any initiative because if they're not right, if they don't succeed at first try, they fear a punitive response. Yes. What a risk to the company. You know, yes. now you, you got people who feel like they can't be creative, they are fearful of being a problem solver because they don't want the responsibility of what could happen if the solution doesn't pan out. And so you know all these issues of safety are intertwined, but really speak to the importance of uh, you know perceptions reality. Like yeah. if employees don't perceive that they're safe, that's the metric that matters. And we need to then model what it looks like to take that information and iterate on it over time.
0: Yeah. And, and as much as, you know, and, and we'll, before we leave, you know, I certainly want to provide some opportunity for you to share how people can, you know, bring folks like Lira around and do business with you and all that type of thing. But much of this is much simpler than people make it. So where do I start? Ask. Right. Where do I start? Ask. You can hire somebody like me or like Dr. Joe. We can come and do all, but why don't you just ask people? And then, but, but the, 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 the warning is don't ask if you're not really going to do anything with the data yeah. that you receive, because that's actually worse. And 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 so when you're speaking about the fear that people have, and again, this is much of this is my own experiences and, and the experiences I've now started to come across is their fear is justified because the last time and the time before that, when they didn't do it perfectly and the sad thing about what does do it perfect even mean? We don't really have a policy on that. Uh yeah. we don't really we haven't trained or talked about it before. You simply tell me after I do the thing that you didn't like it and that somehow wasn't perfection for you. And that is a really difficult place to live, always yeah. wondering trying to keep the boss happy and that's not that's not a place that is safe. That's not a place that is innovative, that's not a place that's gonna to continue to even survive because there are a generation of people some of them are even old like me who just aren't going to do that they they yeah. we spent 2 years sitting at home in some cases reassessing our lives and reassessing what's important to us and we've decided you know what i'm not going to do that and i'm
1: going yeah. to search and look out for environments that get it <laughs> oh my gosh that that is that is both my personal and professional <laughs> experience. Uh, you know, Personally, I am fortunate to have worked in an environment now that is very supportive of uh, tr- learning through trying. And that's really how my team has basically established itself and grown organically. We've learned what customers need around these different workplace issues, and we've responded accordingly in a very you know, natural and organic way. Um, I've also worked in environments where it really was not safe to fail. And, you know, this is something that I have humility around, you know, even on my own team, really trying to instill in my own management style, what it looks like to set an objective, like this is what we're trying to achieve and let me not micromanage how you get there. And, and I'm going to say, I have never had more empathy for micromanaging managers before than I have had since becoming a manager myself. Mm. It's hard, especially if you've built something yourself or you feel ownership for a team's output. You want to get it just so based on your own subjective sense of what's right. But you know for me, trying to practice what I preach and let go of the reins and be open to ways of thinking, ways of developing programs and and services that are better than what I could have come up with on my own. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Again, my my observation is that we have lots and lots and lots of dialogue around how to do things. And that's where a lot of the arguments, which should be done this way, that way. And it's so much so that we forget about what we're doing or why we're doing it. We just lose track of both of those things. Why are we doing this in the first place? And what is it that success actually even looks like? And if yeah. we can stay focused, that's the part where agreement, I believe, is more necessary. Uh, the how is—that's what you hire qualified and trained and capable yeah. and educated. Uh, and in some cases, you know, I, 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 you know, had to learn this in my my past experiences as a leader as well. I don't even need to know how. What I need to know is, did I were we really clear about what it is we want to do and why we're doing it? And do I have somebody who's really skilled at it? Yeah. Well, let them figure it out because they're probably going to do a better job than me anyway. I'm simply going to mess it up cuz that's just my thing. I can't be excellent at everything. <laughs> I'm sure you're excellent at most things. I, I've got a couple of honestly. I really feel there's a couple of things I'm really good at. But the the other millions of things that are out there, I don't even know anything about. That's why we have other people. Yes. That's what yes. that's that's why you go that's why you put the sign up, you put it out on, you know, on some you know, on the web or on your website, we're looking for good people. Who goes out
1: and says, we're looking for terrible people who can't do anything. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you hired these people. That's so, right. you know, I, I think about this all the time. The the people on my team all have expertise that I don't have. Right. And I, I need them yes. to utilize that expertise in ways that I can't even foresee the best way to leverage to make the best product. So whether yes. that's You know, DEI and B expertise or instructional design expertise or um, organizational development expertise, things that are not fully in my wheelhouse. I need them to lead the way. And the more that I can get out of their way so that they can do that well, usually the better the product.
0: So, so, so let's, uh, you've mentioned a little bit uh, about your team. And so tell us a little bit more about, you know, where you work and your team and what you do and
1: all that type of thing. Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So yeah, I work at Lyra Health, L-Y-R-A. People are often stuck on the spelling. So Lyra Health, and we're a mental health benefits company. So we work with employers to offer a full spectrum of mental health benefits. That means access to therapy, coaching, self-care apps, even medication prescribing for the full age span. So for children, teens, adults, older adults. And the idea is, you know, what we know from plenty of research, you not only need to treat individual employees who have mental health distress, but you also need to provide that access to care for families because if an employee is supporting a family member who has mental health uh, concerns, it takes a toll on them too, and it takes a toll on their ability to work. So that's that's the focus of what we do. Um, but my team is unique in that we are focused on the workplace and how employers can design mentally healthy management practices and corporate policies and mental health literacy training and learning and development programs all in service of creating a mentally healthy culture at work. and also a culture that weaves DEI and B, through all aspects of working. So our unique focus is on really three uh, topic areas. Um, So that's mental health promotion in the workplace, organizational development and mental health, how we design uh, work to be mentally healthy and reduce risk of harm, and then DEI and B, how DEI and B intersect in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. we equip uh, employers to recognize that different groups within a company are going to experience mental health in unique ways. Yes. Yes. I, I, that is just,
0: that's actually exciting. And it's exciting to know that there are folks again uh, within the United States that are having this conversation because you mentioned before, I mean, there are folks all over the world and and I, you know, I, I say this a lot. And I think some folks um, might interpret this to suggest that everybody else is. Uh, they don't have the same issues. That we, they have the same issues that we have. They really do. As a matter of fact, in some some countries where they have the policies in place, they have the same problem. It just seems worse because they're spending more time talking about it. <laughs> so right. it's not a panacea in that you know there's a standard or a policy in place, but it's just really heartening to know that we're not. It's some, we're not really as far behind. It's and the other thing I believe is. The fact that we, again, U.S. centric, we have the opportunity to move forward a lot quicker than yeah. a lot of other places because of their experience. We don't have to we don't have to repeat that. I mean, we can look at what they've done and, again Canada, UK, Australia, you know, other places around the country, around the world. They've already done some of the research already, already have some of the, you know, some of the examples about what doesn't work and what does. And we can simply build off that. I'm I have no problem Uh. You know, using other people's issues yeah. so I don't have to have the same ones.
1: Right, right. <laughs> and hopefully they wouldn't. Have, they would feel the same way. That's right. Yeah, uh, I, I think what you're exactly right, and what other countries are ahead of us on that's most important is really frameworks, like giving language to these things, like organizing right. uh, these concepts in something that's you know understandable and yes. and something they can take action on, and the action is always going to be specific to the local context anyway. Yes. So it's not yes. like, you know, any one country has the perfect playbook on this. It's really every individual company that's is right. going to have their playbook for this.
0: That's right. You know, and I can, and that's, you know, I, for some people, and again, I, I'm, I'm surmising this based on some of the responses I get when I start talking about, you know, psychosocial hazards. What is that? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, yeah. So, so, and, and again, the definition and my research is uh, a psychosocial factor that's perceived or experienced by the individual, exposed as a threat to them, that in turn affects their behavior. I, I believe that this goes down to the individual person. Yeah. Each individual, regardless to what to to their age, their background, their gender identity, all this, these type of other, you know, ways in which we're uh, our brains are formed or the environment is formed around us. All that causes us to just see things differently. And yeah. the difference is not a deficiency. It is right. simply a difference. And how do we, you know, get off of this mindset that says there is one way to do it and that's got to work for everybody. Well, yeah. no, there isn't what now is the goal
1: of helping people feel safe. That's yes. That's wonderful. But how I get there, it just depends. This, this feels like we've come full circle because that's what implementation science is all about. Here's what research says can be effective. Now, how do we take that and make it actually feasible and effective in a setting that isn't exactly the same as the one the research study was conducted in? So everything needs to be adapted in a local context in ways that make sense for the people in that context and the system that they worked in yeah absolutely absolutely so um we're we're uh wow, this is the
0: nice thing again about talking to to guys like you again, guys like you here in the u s that actually know what you know iso forty five thousand three are and, and they know the difference between these these concepts so 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 share a little bit there is the, i believe a, a, a bit of a almost a trendiness about psychological safety now. And you know that's a, and I I one of these days that's going to be the get to if I could you know get Dr. Edmondson on to talk about oh. that. But I think what's happening is is that people are taking that concept and isolating it and suggesting, well, if we have psychological safety, it's all going to be okay. It is a part of it. It is a yeah. wonderful you know almost nirvana kind of state when I can actually bring my whole self and not have to worry. The challenge is a How do I get there if I'm not there? And b right. Even more important, how do you stay there? Because as soon as you change people, as soon as you get new policies or the business gets sold or, you know, the world changes around you, you're in this constant state of reassessment of what that actually looks like. So talk a little bit about the difference or the connection between the whole psychological safety concept and the mental health piece, because they're certainly connected, but they're just not necessarily the exact same thing.
1: Yes. uh, It's funny you ask this. Our wonderful uh, content marketing team just developed a uh, brief guide on psychological safety versus psychological health and safety that I'm so grateful to them for. Um, the, and the gist is, psychological. You're right, you're right. Psychological safety is this ideal state where everyone feels like they can speak up, be their full selves, be fully authentic, and not fear punitive treatment or punishment or judgment. Now, that that is different than psychological health and safety, which I think of as more um, concrete and tactical. Uh, psychological health and safety is about very specific known risks and hazards like you know, lack of role clarity, lack of supervisor support, uh, work overload, bullying and harassment. These are the kinds of individual issues that are pretty easy and straightforward to assess, and typically have um, you know, some some strategies or tactics that you can implement that can also be straightforward. Doesn't mean you won't have to adapt them yes. to your local context, but there's a lot out there about how to address those things. Psychological health and uh, psychological safety, in contrast, is a little more nebulous. And it's a little more nuanced because you're dealing with cultural norms and attitudes, and um, you know, shifting people's um, you know, behavior in the workplace that um, kind of signals we've created a new norm on the team. And you know, Amy Edmondson has a lot of great you know ideas for how to promote that. But I, I think it's a again, it's just it's a little more nebulous, it's a little more relational than psych health and safety, which again I think it is very like concrete. Not yes. not to say it's not nuanced in how you address it, but you know you can you can list out the risk factors pretty easily and start measuring them tomorrow.
0: Well, yeah, and I you know I've, I've said this a lot as I've had more birthdays that <laughs> <But> I. <laughs> I'm less interested in these kind of binary choices, either this or that. No, it's actually both. I mean, it's I, both. Yeah. You, you can't, at least in my opinion, you cannot do one or the other. You have to do one and the other for either of them to work. You will right. never get and sustain uh, an environment of psychological safety without a system of psychological health and safety. And in the middle, there are psychosocial hazards and risks that have to be identified. I mean yeah. it's it it is it is not all nebulous, but some of it is. It is not all clear, but some of it is. It is and it's having just that whole that, that freedom to be able to kind of move back and forth and not well we're in either. It's not a camp. It's yeah. it, it's it's an environment. And if you work at both, you're gonna get the benefits of both. You know that's I, I just think that's really so which is it, it it's also so Important to have, again, folks such as yourself who have the clinical background, expertise and education to be able to connect it to something that's really physical, because we do have, you know, of course, mental health is this kind of continuum. And we do have some people, some of it because of the uh, exposure at work, some at home, that are actually developing real physical mental and then physical, you know, uh, uh ailments as yeah. a result of how they're treated. And that's, it seems to me, that's when we start to notice, but why not? Why didn't we check this upstream? Why did we wait until the person brought a gun to work or committed suicide yeah. or developed cancer or some other type of physical ailment? That's also going to cost you quite a bit. Yeah. And we could have alleviated this on the front end. In some cases we could have done it for free.
1: Right. 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 And if you have a psychologically safe workplace, you're going to get people who will speak up versus feel like they have to stay quiet because it might be a punitive response if they point out a risk or hazard in the workplace that could be potentially costly, not just for an employee, but for the business. So, you know, you're right. The psych health and safety and psych safety work together. You want to create the kind of environment where people will speak up when they experience these risks when they see these hazards and, uh, you know, ideally help an employer catch these things early on so they don't suffer the costly downstream effects.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, oh, again, as I said,
0: we could, uh, we could carry this on for a while, but uh, in in the interest of, you know, all the folks time who have, you know, stopped uh, taking their lunch hour or whatever to, to, (laughs) to, to, to maybe listen in, uh, in a little bit of a conclusion, share with folks, um, if they want to learn a little bit more about the work that, that you do and the work that you all do at Lyra, how how would they dig more into that? How do they get a hold of you? How do they find you know, the work that you all are doing? Just share a little bit of that with folks you're listening and
1: watching. Yes. Yeah. If, if you're interested in learning more, um, I'd encourage you to visit our website, uh, lyrahealth.com, L-Y-R-A health.com. And my team has its own Uh, product page. It's the Workforce Transformation page under the Our Impact section. And that's my team, the Workforce Transformation team. You can learn more about our products, our services, what we do. And on that site, you can also uh, request a demo from us or request to talk with us. And uh, we are certainly always glad to talk to anybody who has interest in addressing psychosocial hazards and risks in the workplace. Absolutely. So, Last
0: closing thought from you, anything you want to share that we haven't talked about you want to leave with the folks
1: you're listening and watching? Um, You know, I would just say too often we talk about mental health support for the individual and mental health uh, woven into the company and organization as a false dichotomy. Like, oh, either we're investing in individual mental health services or we're investing in uh, psychosocial risk mitigation, and organizational approaches to mental health. That's a false dichotomy. The The investment should be in both. And those things are interdependent. So whether it's the World Health Organization or the U.S. Surgeon General, all of these reports that are coming out providing recommendations to employers on workplace mental health make it clear that individual well-being and organizational approaches to well-being work best when they're they're intertwined. And so that's what we're trying to do at Lyra. Make sure that an individual who has mental health needs has access to care, make sure that employers do their part to prevent unnecessary risk to workplace mental health issues and to intervene early when some of those risks are already in play. Absolutely. Well, Joe, I certainly appreciate the time. I appreciate you, uh,
0: sharing your uh, wealth of wisdom uh, with, with me and with the Bye-bye. folks who've, who've tuned in today. And, and for those, again, who are, uh, if you're listening, uh, uh, wherever you uh, get your podcast, uh, please do join us every single week. We come out with a new episode with a new guest talking about some aspect of psychological health and safety from a U.S. perspective. Uh, you can certainly follow us on LinkedIn. A lot of us are very active there, both me personally and uh, and Dr. Joe as well. Uh, you can. Some of you may have decided you wanted to watch us on the Flourish DX uh, YouTube page. And if you do, go ahead like and subscribe. You know, uh, we most of the folks who tune in tend to listen, but if you want to watch, we're certainly happy to have you do that as well. And ultimately, uh, if you if there's anything that either of us can do to help you on that journey, please please reach out. We I, I, I want to believe that. Everyone that I get on as a guest on the podcast becomes a part of this big family that's trying to see uh, a different kind of environment in the United States as it relates to psychological health and safety. We uh, we can do this, but it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of our contributions. It's going to take your contribution as well. Uh, and your contribution may be just simply listening and working with someone in your workplace or uh, taking the time to care for a coworker. So again, thanks very much. Uh, we hope you've learned something cause I certainly have, and we'll look forward to chatting, uh, with uh, our, our next guest next week on our next episode of the psych health and safety USA podcast. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the psych health and safety USA podcast to stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in America, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts, and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.